This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Okay, Preston, I am so pumped that we are finally doing your podcast. Um, You, okay, first of all, I would not have done this podcast if it wasn't for you. Like, it was this idea floating in my mind for a long time. And then when I saw you at the conference, it was like, I needed, I knew it needed to happen. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm super grateful that uh, we ran into each other and talked about it because it would have never come to be had I not <laughs> ran into you and talked about it. Well, so. I, I remember when you were telling me about it, I had like goosebumps. I was like, this is so cool. Like, why isn't there a podcast like this? Because I, my story is not unique at all. You right. know, I, I, I've worked in recovery for, you know, as you know, a lot of years and been in recovery a lot of years. And, and I just met so many guys and women who have very similar stories. And like that, that's, that's how I got sober is when I heard stories from guys who had been in my shoes but yet they had like that light in their eyes that I wanted that that I recognized I you know they seemed happy and I wasn't happy so it kind of gave me hope like okay I can do this like you can recover you know you can get better so when you told me about it I was like yeah this is so cool you got to do it so yeah yeah I'm glad I'm glad we had that conversation for sure yes me too so okay let's kind of start at the beginning like you know what was your early years like what um did you have a testimony at a young age what did that look like so yeah i grew up in the church um awesome family um i think you know yeah in utah growing up you know the church was was uh we went pretty much every sunday i played soccer growing up i'm the oldest of five kids um and you know just just pretty normal family for the most part. Um, you know, we had uh, a lot of emotional um, constipation, I think, in our family. Our th- we had a therapist uh, when my brother was in treatment. Um, the therapist told my parents that we were probably one of the most emotionally constipated families that she'd ever worked with. <laughs> Love that term. <laughs> yeah, that, my dad's dad was an alcoholic. Mom's dad was in the military. Yeah, just my parents didn't have the emotional IQ that I think your average parent has, but they, I mean, they got a pretty, they can connect well. It just, I think it's maybe partly a cultural thing after, you know, thinking about this a lot and talking to other people and sharing my story and, and kind of process it a bit. As a culture, we kind of put on this persona of perfectionism, like especially I think in our, in our, in the LDS culture, everything's got to look okay. It's got, you know, if you got a problem, you know, maybe just don't talk about it or it's just maybe part of the culture, but at least in our family, just, it was more so, I think with our family, just emotionally didn't talk about kind of maybe how we felt if we're having a bad day. I remember my mom, you know, if I, if I came home from school, and I was mad about something, she'd say, you know, you'll let it, you know, water off, uh, like water off a duck's back type of attitude, like just roll with the punches. Like, so as a kid, I just kind of learned just, you know, don't talk about my emotions very much. And, um, which probably kind of led to a lot of different things, but yeah, that's kind of, kind of how I grew up. Um, uh, as far as getting into, um, trouble that started pretty early in life. I kind of liked, you know, going against the grain a little bit. Um, 
me and my brother Tyson were kind of like, uh, um, you know, partners in crime. Um, you know, we both kind of liked, uh, you know, doing doing things for you know an adrenaline rush, and so we kind of started getting in trouble as, as kids a little bit, and then you know slowly got worse. But yeah, that's kind of where where things started. So for the most part. Did you have, do you feel like you had a testimony at a young age or do you feel like you were kind of just like, you know? No, I did actually. I for sure did. I, I, you know, I, you know, learned to pray and, and, and would pray as a kid. And I felt, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I, I learned to, to recognize, um, the spirit at a young age. And so I for sure had a testimony of, um, but it was never really tested until I started going through some, some real, some real trials. You know, I think that, you know, faith is having hope, you know, and it's not really a perfect knowledge of things. And so I, I for sure had the hope, but I, I didn't, it, you know, it didn't get strengthened until, um, I had to start asking the right questions, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. So what kind of led you to, you know, what what kind of led to your darkest place or where you kind of hit your rock bottom? What, what did that look like? So what kind of led me there is, um, you know, I think that the adversary is really masterful at kind of, kind of like that analogy. If you put a frog in a warm um, pot, right, um, and slowly turn it up, he's not going to jump out. He's going to like it. it, feels warm, and pretty soon he's cooked. You know, if you throw him in a hot pot, he's going to immediately jump out. So, you know, it kind of started just kind of making, making you know, bad decisions, uh, just small and justifying them and rationalizing them. Like, oh, I could do this, or I can do that. I mean, this isn't that bad. And, and then um, uh, I had a girlfriend, so, um, you know, started doing things with her and, justifying and you know rationalizing and and then didn't make the soccer team and so thought I wasn't good enough and I loved soccer growing up that's why I threw that in there because after that I kind of had to start making different friends because a lot of my friends went to play soccer and and um you know started you know I think kind of there's this little bit a little bit of a hole there that used to be filled with soccer that that was no longer there so well what I what do I do for fun now so then I started drinking I remember my friends, you know, got home, like brought some Bacardi Silvers over and like, hey, this isn't, this isn't really alcohol. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's not, it's not a beer. It's a Bacardi. It's like a, it's like a fruit drink type thing. Like, oh, okay. I'll try that, you know? And before I know it, you know, I was, I was kind of down this little rabbit hole that I kind of liked, you know, it was kind of exciting. And it was, it was so controversial to me because when I drank, um, I felt, I felt good enough. I felt like my... I felt okay. I felt like I, I, I was enough, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so it was really easy to rationalize it for a while. And, um, but I kind of knew it's, there was that cognitive dissonance, right? It's like, okay, well, I probably shouldn't be doing this. It's, it's against my values. It's against the church, but like, no one ever told me it's, it makes me feel better. I know, you know I always heard these stories. That, oh, if you're an alcoholic, you're going to be homeless down, you know, down yeah. <laughs> under the bridge type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I continue to do these different things and, and, um, same, same thing happened with pain pills. You know, you get your wisdom teeth out, you take pain pills. Well, this is really cool. And one thing leads to another to where, what happened to me, it got to the point where I was waking up withdrawing, you know, then I had to take more and then, and then, um, then it turned into harder drugs because I couldn't buy pills. And then it turned into, oh my gosh, I don't even like the guy looking back in the mirror anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't trust him. And, 
in this complete state of, you know, having suicidal thoughts that, you know, I, I can't do this life thing, this sucks. And, you know, it, then I'm trying to use just to feel normal, you right. know, and, it, it, and so that's when it got real bad. And then my brother was using right along with me and we've been so huge supports with each other in recovery, but you know, it's just kind of how things worked out. And, and, um, I didn't start asking the right questions until I was waking up in the morning and I, and I had this huge, I call it a God shaped hole now that I was trying to fill with all these other things, drugs mm -hmm. and alcohol. And, and I was so emotionally, well, more spiritually disconnected at the time when emotionally, uh, than anything, but I didn't recognize it back then. When you're in, in that, in that state of mind, you know, um, you're, you know, from a biological standpoint, I didn't realize that my midbrain, you know, was really running the show and the prefrontal cortex that, that, you know, helps manage your emotions and your, you know, you're thinking, you know, you're not really, you're legit, you're really not thinking clearly when you're, when I was at that, at that point in my life. And so, um, but I started asking the right questions and, and, um, you know, I got to the point too, where, where, where I was really scared about my brother's life. You know, he was, we were both doing, doing heroin and cocaine and he was, you know, he was always using a little bit more than I was. He was a little bit crazy, you know, and, um, I, I've always been a little bit more cautious. And then we had, uh, within a month, two friends overdose, um, you know, one, one friend and another, another person I knew of. And so it started getting, getting kind of real. And so I finally decided to get honest with, uh, my parents cause they knew what was going on, but mm -hmm. they didn't know. No, I mean, I mean, we'd lost a lot of weight. We couldn't hold a job and, you know, just <laughs> not doing well. How old and were you at, during this time? I was 20 at this point. I was 20 years old. Tyson was 19, 18 or just turning 19 or 18 months apart. So we weren't doing good. And so, um, and I didn't really, you know, looking back at that point, I didn't really care about me. I just, I knew that if something happened to my brother that I wouldn't be able to forgive myself. And so I was mm -hmm. like, let's, let's, I need to get honest. So I told mom and dad and within 24 hours, you know, we're on the, on the way into detox <laughs> and, um, yeah, I went to detox. I went to the Arkelo Cottonwood, uh, March 16th of 06 is when I checked in there and Tyson went to. Uh, another treatment center after he kind of came out of the detox coma, he uh, escaped and stole our friend's car and came to rescue me from rehab. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never even showed up. They did a whole lockdown thing. And, but anyway, so I had a little bit, did a little bit. Uh, he went through another program before he got sobered up for good. But yeah, that's kind of how I, that, the story of how I got into treatment. And, and when I was in treatment, I had some really cool experiences as well. Yeah. So before we go into that, tell me like what yeah. your parents were thinking, like how did your parents are good, you know, people, they're, you know, religious, what, what did they think? Like, and I'm also curious to know, did they ever feel like judged? They've got these two sons that are going crazy. What was that like? So, you know, my mom has told me, um, I mean, a few years after we got into recovery, she told me that night that after we told him, she was so scared. <clears throat> and she she said she was shaking at the keyboard, like trying to find a place for us to go. And I <clears throat> I get emotional thinking about it now because I, I'm a parent now. And, and <clears throat> you know, my parents, I'm sure they went through a lot, you know, and scared to death, like their sons are probably going to die. I mean, that's what they, per, the people at Detox told them, like, oh, you're, you're, you know, chances are one of your kids aren't going to make it. Like they scared them. And so... 
Because we try to convince them, like, yeah, mom, we're, we just need to do detox, and then we're good. We don't need to go to rehab, <laughs> you yeah. know. And so, and we were pretty good at manipulating our parents. But so they, the detox people, thankfully, did a good enough job to say, hey, your your kids need to get into a program. So, but yeah, to answer your question, they 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 went through that. We put them through the ringer, you know. Me and my dad's relationship, and my dad and Ty, I mean, our relationships with with our parents were not good, especially with dad. He was more of the um, you know, my, we could roll over my mom with the, you know, manipulate her. And, you know, she was kind of the codependent mom, you know, dad, dad was the one trying to, trying to set boundaries and lay the law. And we just, we, we, we bumped heads pretty good. We're best friends today, but at that point in time, we just, we did not get along well, but yeah, after we got into treatment, <clears throat> we were fortunate enough for them to actually take a suggestion and go to the family program. So at the arc that I was at, they had a family, family program, like a once a month, you know, get together. Let's, let's, you know, talk about boundaries, the codependency, what that looks like. Um, you know, different, you know, different things that can help them understand what we were going through and how our relationships can, can work and that we'd have process groups. And so they, I was lucky enough, uh, for them to actually get involved, um, as a treatment center owner now, um, we have a family program. Oddly enough, my parents are over that. My so mom actually awesome. went back to school. So yeah, she's an LMFT now. And my dad, I mean, he's retired. He's what, where, where he finds fulfillment is calling every one of these family members and invites them to family groups. So to oh. see that come um, full circle is just so cool. Just so mm-hmm. cool. But yeah, we've been, our family's been through a, a journey <laughs> for, you know, for sure. And I think, you know, with, with it, I mean, I don't know if I, I, I hopefully would be sober still today, but, um, you know, if just the fact then that to see them get involved when I got out of treatment, um, having a dialogue where I could be honest with them and also have accountability, but have a, have a relationship that's honest that we can talk through things. And, and, uh, it was a huge help for my recovery just to be able to, to have that communication, um, you know, I, I, and, and to have them, you know, actually set really, really good boundaries and, you know, s- have conversations like, Hey, we're going to support you in your recovery. We can't support your addiction, but this is what we will do to help you. And this is what we won't do. And just have like, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it was very healthy for me in, yeah. in early recovery to have that. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with your wife and how, you yeah. know, what that has been like, you know, especially you know, with the church, with your recovery, how you guys met, where you're at now, all that. Love that. Yeah. So, um, after I got out of treatment, I, um, uh, dated, dated a few girls and then met my, met my wife. I actually had briefly knew her, um, um, in college. She, she dated a guy who I had, it was more of an acquaintance, but his best friend was like one of my really good friends. So I had met her before, like at a few parties and uh, started dating her and just fell in love instantly with her. She, we are just like, like, like soulmates. Like we kind of knew from the beginning, once we started getting to really know each other and, and, um, I had just such a good connection and, um, you know, met her family, love her family, just the best parents ever. And so, um, and at that time I, I was starting to, um, uh, go back to church. Um, in my, re- I was at that point in my recovery where I, I wanted to be more active. Um, 
because when I got into treatment, I was pretty much, it was, I had a lot of shame, a lot of um, un undiagnosed shame, I, I like to call it, but I had to work through a lot of things. And so um, when I started dating her, it was kind of at that point, I was going back to church and she, and her parents actually had fallen away from church at that, at that point for a while. And so she, um, she wasn't really, act she hadn't been active in five or six years really either. And so it's like, hey, let's, let's, let's go back to church and see what that looks like. And, and then um, we got married and then um, we got married in the temple. And um, yeah, it was just a really cool journey to, to, to get back involved with, with a different kind of perspective, you know, and um, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I thought I'd, I, I would, uh, uh, well, I, I remember going to, um, elders quorum and the first thing they, they, they asked, you know, when you have a new person in the war or, or whatever, you know, where'd you go on your mission? That's always one of the questions. And, and, um, you know, it was always one of those fears like, oh, they're going to ask that. And I was like in rehab and I, you know, and so it was always hard for me to kind of get vulnerable and open up about that. But, um, it was cool to actually just be myself, you know, and, and just and open up about, you know, I, I, I went into treatment and I'm in recovery now and yada, yada, yada. And, and then just cool things started happening where the bishop would have me speak at the fifth Sunday, you know, that I'd speak and I'd have, um, you know, people come up to me after and say, oh, I've got a son who's struggling or my husband's struggling. Can you talk with him? And so it's, it's kind of been a, a platform for service that, that's kind of given me some really cool opportunities to, to just be, you know, be helpful. And I find a lot of fulfillment in that and in, in doing that. I'm like you do, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what this whole podcast is all about is kind of just reaching out because, you know, there's people that reached out to us and that was like, those people are my heroes today when yeah. I first got in recovery and um, started getting relationships with people that, that, you know, were, 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 could open up to me. And I realized that I was, I wasn't just like this person that should be in hell that I could, I had hope that I could work through things. Like, that's pretty cool, you know? And, and it's almost like you, you're able to have a mission, even though it's not like officially a mission, you know, yeah. it's like your mission wasn't putting a name tag on and, um, yeah. but you, your mission is so incredible. Um, so you started or own the Renaissance Ranch. Tell us how that all came to be. Like how, yeah. how long were you sober? How did, you know, how did that all come to be? Yeah. All the things. So, um, I'll tell you this. So when I got out of the arc, I started going to different, you know, different local AA meetings and, um, the, there were there were guys that I, I I started to get to know that were from Renaissance Ranch and they they've always had a good a good brand uh, a good name and and then when Tyson had a relapse um, he I, I this was I think in two thousand eight yeah I I, uh, I was living in Nevada at the time I flew I flew home and and basically wouldn't leave him alone until he checked into the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> so the most codependent brother ever <laughs> yeah and so he checked into the ranch and um uh and he was ready you know he mm -hmm. he really wanted it to to you know take his recovery to another level you know so he, he went into the ranch and did really well and um then he got out and after he was sober two years maybe it was about three or so he wanted to start an outpatient and renaissance ranch was just a residential at the time so he started the outpatient program um, and started doing really well. And I was working with my dad at a company and sold the company. So I was out of a job. 
and uh, you know, started having conversations. Like, hey, what if we bought Renaissance Ranch and you could be the executive director there? Yada yada yada. And um, it was kind of a cool thing because the previous owner had you know dreams or anyway he didn't really want to sell it but the, after the conversation felt really good about it so we we bought it um in 2014 and then merged the companies tyson had his company and the ranch and so in 2014 we merged everything together and we've been running it since 2014. and, and it's cool because my husband went to renaissance ranch and yeah. so it's i don't know like i have just I don't know. I've always felt connected to what you guys do because number one, my husband went there. And number two, I love that, you know, you guys have gospel principles incorporated into your program. And I think, I mean, for my work, I, I work with thousands of treatment centers. I'm talking to them all the time. And that's something unique that I've never found. And I love that so much. And it's just something that, you know, I think, when you mentioned the God-shaped hole that you had, yeah. um, I just, I think it's really special what you guys are doing. And I, I love your program and you and Tyson are obviously the best. So, um, I can't yeah. take too much credit. I, I'll tell you, some of our clinicians have been there before we bought the program. I mean, most, I, I would say every person, but maybe one or two that I'm thinking of are either alumni at the ranch or they're in recovery. It's just mm -hmm. the culture there is just, it's been ongoing since before we even bought it. It's just, an, and the cool thing is we have these alumni events every quarter, every three months. Mm -hmm. And we still have alumni that have been through a program years ago, show up to those. Right. And we had over a hundred people. We went out these giant verbos, uh, VRBOs, and we just have a blast. So it's just all about the connection piece. You know, guys mm -hmm. got a treatment. They're, they're, they're part of a community that is already established and they've got support if they need a job. We've got alumni who own businesses. We own businesses that they yeah. can work at. And I mean, they should, we show up to I mean, each other's weddings. It's just like it's a community. You yeah, know? It's, it's family. Yeah. yeah. So alumni is everything for sure. That's awesome. So I have a few questions from some some folks on my Instagram page, and um, they have questions for people who have come back to the church. So um, hopefully you're ready to to answer a few questions. Oh yeah. Um. So one person asked, "What are the very first baby steps for you for coming back? Like, what were the baby steps? The first ones? Getting over myself, I think. You know, just like because I think when you for me, at least when I was wanting to come back to the church, um, it starts in the quiet moments, right? When you're, when you're in those quiet moments and you're feeling like something's missing, like you're, 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 you're remembering like what life was like when, um, you had the spirit with you or when you were just having that like natural joy. And I think the world's really good at distracting us. We've got Netflix, we've got games, we've got, there's so many different things that can distract us. So we can stay busy most of the time if we really wanted to. But the things that are significant, the things that really like help us align with our purpose and our values and the things that really bring us fulfillment aren't from this world, you know? And so when you're in those quiet moments, for me at least, it was like, okay, well, I'm obviously not happy or I'm not as happy as I'd like to be. And so like, let's, let's, let's work on that. You know, I'm getting over myself. I think I was always hitting myself over like the head with this shame bat, you know, mm -hmm. like just kind of these feelings of unworthiness. And what's interesting is I, I, I teach a, a psych ed group at the ranch every Tuesday morning with our guys, our clients. 
And I have a group that I do on awareness and I always have the guys put their heads down and I ask them, Hey, by the raise of hands, everyone keep your eyes closed. How many of you guys feel um, like maybe you just don't measure up or you don't feel good enough. Like you just have those kind of, maybe those feelings sometimes that you just, you're just, you're just not good enough, you know? And, and then I have everyone open their eyes and, and every time without fail, every, every hands up. Cause when we're in our addiction or in, you know, we, a lot of times we're just trying to feel good enough. We're just trying to feel like we measure up, you know? And I think the adversary is really good at, at making us feel less than mm-hmm. <clears throat> at least, I mean, that's, I mean, it's just what it's been my experience and it's been, it's, it's been reestablished every time I do that group. And so to answer your question, I think just being able to realize that we are enough and that we, we are worthy, you know, and, and there's, there's that, there's, there was a brother that, that happened to come to this earth and, and, um, and the atonement's real. And he took, a, he took upon those things so we can, you know, move forward. And that's great. I think that's what grace is all about, you know, be able mm-hmm. to, to just get, get over that. And so I think that was my, for me, that the biggest thing is once I can like, okay, I can get over that. I am perfectly imperfect because I was built that way. Right. <laughs> I don't have to be perfect to show up. You yep. know? And I think once I, once I, once I caught onto that concept, it was easy. You know, I could show up, I could be me. And when I'm me, um, with, with all of me, even with my mistakes, the things I've done, um, you know, I can move on and I can inspire others to do the same. And that's, I think, part of my mission today, you know? That's so awesome. That is amazing. Um, okay. Let's see. How can a parent help a child who is away from the church without making them feel judged? You work with a lot of parents, and Stop so sending texts and emails <laughs> with the prophet talks and all that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my we should pull my mom on for this one. No, so when I, when I was when I was in my addiction, right, or you know, just um, completely off the rails, my mom would always send me church talks, and for me, for. For her, it's her like trying to help, right? But for me, it's like I'm getting these, and my thoughts were, "Oh, I must. She must not think I'm 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 doing well. Like, why would she be sending me these? She must think I'm like, like a sinner, or you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I like, and it could have been my view was distorted, but I mean, I've worked in this industry for a long time. So I've I've had this conversation many many times with a lot of other guys, and and that's a pretty common thread that I've I've heard is. Uh, it it kind of helps drive the shame when when parents are always talking about those things because that's how that's how it was with me you know they'd always bring up you know um, different things to kind of see how I was doing or you know it's so you kind of you kind of have to um, and if I'm talking to the parents like back off a little bit yeah <laughs> you know, have, have conversations that don't involve the church with every conversation. And, and that and that might have been just with my family because it, the, every time my mom would talk to me, it had something to do with the church or mm-hmm. or the prophet or something with the LDS culture every time. Mm-hmm. And so we, I, I couldn't have like a real conversation with her, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so that you know, and that's just that's probably just maybe you know partly my family's. Ins- <laughs> I think I think it's pretty. I would think it's pretty common because my my dad, who I love dearly he's amazing and I love his testimony like I I cherish his testimony it's part of why my testimony is what it is but I mean he's pretty similar like I know that there's people in my family that 
you know, feel like, okay, like, you know, it's, but I know he, he does it because it makes him so happy. So like, I feel yeah. so much for the parents in this situation. Like the church brings them so much joy and happiness that they want yeah. that for their kids. And like, as a mother, I'm like, I can resonate with that. Like I, mm -hmm. it's something I'm so passionate about and I want my kids to experience that. And so, um, I think it's so such great advice for you to bring that up because it really is the, the yearning of our heart to have those close to us experience the joy of the gospel. But like when you're in that situation, we need to, you know, you do kind of need to back off a little bit, you know? I think, I think, yeah. I mean, I obviously mom probably wrote that question. Like, what do we mm -hmm. say? How do we talk to him about it? Um, and there's no right answer. I'll tell you that. But what I've seen help is when um, they try to um, have honest conversations. Like a lot of times my mom, my mom would never tell me how she felt, you know, and if, if, if she had an honest conversation and told me that she was scared or that she um, was staying up till three in the morning because she was really like, she didn't know if I was alive. Like she had like honest conversations with me and like emotionally expressed what she was feeling. I could, I would have been able to connect with her. It right. would have been hard, would have sucked. But I think sometimes parents try to protect their kids too much, um, especially in today's age, when they need to let, I have a, a saying that I learned from one of our, our uh, uh, from Chris Grove. She, she used to be one of our best therapists ever. She's got her own private practice now. She's amazing. But she'd always say, you know, to parents, you know, let go and let God. Sometimes you just have to trust God. Sometimes you gotta you gotta set a boundary, even though it sucks. Your kids using hair in your base, heroin in your basement. You gotta kick them out. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, even though that sucks, like most kids that die on heroin, they're dying in their parents' basements. You know, when they get kicked out, they have to ask the right questions, right? Or they end up in jail, which is fantastic for a drug addict, because then they right. actually have to get sober. Yeah. You know, so once you have to kind of help do those things to get the kids to ask the right questions. And then only they can do that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Awesome. Um, do you have, this is another question from Instagram followers. Do you no. have any doubts or concerns or things that bother you about the church? And if you do, how do you not let that shake your faith and, you know, drive a wedge between you and your spirituality? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I, um, one of the, th one of the things I've worked on a lot in my recovery is finding acceptance, like the serenity of prayer, which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. So there's been, a, there's been some things that the church has done that I don't know if I agree with or really not, you know, um, but I just find acceptance in it. I, I, I try not to make, um, you know, make things a big deal. Um, and so, yeah, that's just kind of like my, been my perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, probably. Awesome. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Um, what, what, uh, advice do you have for somebody that, um, maybe didn't serve a mission? They didn't, you know, not necessarily because they were, you know, on drugs or whatever, but what advice would you have for somebody that like loves the gospel, but they, they chose not to serve a mission? I've had this conversation with guys before. I mean, half our clients at the ranch are LDS, you know, a lot yeah. of them 
like me where, where they beat themselves up a little bit or they didn't want to go on a mission and hey, dude, that's okay. Guess what? Jesus still loves you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, guess what? Maybe your mission's something different, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, and I believe that, you know, maybe the mission is really something else or, or maybe they, you know, can, can, um, you know, be of service in other ways. And so, yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. I feel like, you know, with my husband, he, he got sent home early from his mission and it, you know, it was something that was really, really hard for him. But, um, yeah, I feel like we both together kind of have a mission that's, that we're, we're working on. And, you know, this podcast is part of that. For sure. I think people make it, people need to understand that I'm talking to myself too. Sometimes, you know, it's like, we, we make it so much of a bigger deal in our head. Like mm-hmm. nobody else really cares. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, like we, we like, like, like dramatize it so much sometimes different things. And mm-hmm. I go, that's okay. Like you can, like we all, like everyone, it's like the humanistic part of us. Like we all, we all go through things. We all have trials, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, as soon as we can realize that we're not, we're imperfectly perfect. Like we can like move mountains. Yeah. <laughs> can really see cool things. Once you realize that, once you can, accept that you know I love that advice because I feel like in our in our culture and you know it's I feel like people that haven't served a mission or maybe got sent home early there's a lot of shame surrounding that and so um I just love that advice so thank you for sharing well yeah it's like you know at least at least they went at least they they tried yeah like like I didn't even make it to the baseball park (laughs) At least they got there, got to first base, maybe had to go. I'm sure he did some good there, you know. And at the end of the day, for the missionaries, I mean, I think think a a big purpose of that is is for them to have their own personal growth, to go out there and and experience things and and to study and and learn. And, you know, there's there's more there's more than one way to do that, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sure. Um, Okay, next question. I've just got I know we're, you know we're getting close to five o'clock, but, um, what was the turning point that made you want to come back to the church? I know you, you know, you were struggling with your addiction and then you got sober and like, what, what was the turning point that made you go back to the church specifically and not just like spirituality or. Um, I can't think of like a turning point. I just think it was um, like I mentioned, those quiet moments, just having enough of those quiet moments to just, you know, realize that I was happier when I was, you know, I had the gospel in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and finding the acceptance to, to, to realize that I don't have to be perfect for me. For me, it was, you know, I, I kind of had black and white thinking. It's like, okay, well, if I'm going to be going to church every Sunday, I have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, dude, I went back to church and I was, I would choose Zen in church, <laughs> but, but that's like, after I find it, found it some acceptance, like I don't have to be perfect to go to, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, I have this huge mental block. Like, okay, if I'm going to go back to church, I've got to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so that held me back for so long Yeah. to, to when I realized, you know, I finally said, basically, F it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. Be and you and just, yeah. And, and, and one thing turned to another and, and I, I chewed for years into my recovery, you know, mm-hmm. and, until it, it took, I do, I'm still a caffeine addict. You're not going to get Same. to get, Same. but you know, it's like, you know, just show, just, just show up and, um, and don't do it. I mean, you don't have to do it for you. Like just see where you can maybe be of service, you know, I, right. the happiest the, when I, and I go like, like, 
you know, I, you know, I like everybody, we have spiritual like ebbs and flows, right? Like when I'm happy, when I'm happiest, when I'm in like this, like this, this place that, that's like a really cool spiritual energy and I'm, I'm feeling good. It's because I'm um, like being mindful of others, you know, right. I'm doing things like, what can I do to like help other people mm-hmm. when I'm in that kind of, you know, frame of mind, I, I seem to be happier than, you know, what is the church going to do for me? You know, mm-hmm. and when I have that kind of attitude, it just doesn't really get me, get me anywhere. And I'm unhappy, you know, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one last question for you. What yeah. are some things that you do like on a daily basis or, you know, um, like what keeps you close to the church or close to the gospel or close to God? How do you stay close? There's, there's so many just bad things that people say about the church. And I think it's louder than ever because of social media and everyone has a voice and it's a loud one. And how do you stay grounded in your testimony on a daily basis and, um, stay close to God? What, what keeps me grounded in my testimony is an experience that I had in treatment that I'll never forget. And, um, it happened my, my second week in treatment where all the drugs were worn off and I was raw and I was feeling all these emotions. Um, and I was in a really, really dark spot. <clears throat> and I, I sat down with my therapist. I'm like, dude, I can't imagine like me doing this sober thing. Like this sucks. Like I can't imagine, uh, me going on a cruise next, next fall with my friends and not getting completely, you know, shiz faced on the, on the carnival cruise. I can't imagine this sober life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I want to leave. And he, he basically said, Hey, you know, why are you trying to do this on your own? And I respected this guy. He was really, he was in recovery. He got it. And, um, and I had somewhat of a connection with him. And so I, I, I was willing to, to hear him out. And so after expressing all this to him and like wanting to leave and he basically had a really cool conversation with me, just, just leveling with me. And he's like, dude, why? But he said something that, that hit hard. He's like, dude, why? He's like, why are you trying to do this, this recovery thing on your own? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, don't you know, there's a guy upstairs that can help you out. And (laughs) for a second, I'm like, who's this guy upstairs? (laughs) And I realized I'm on the top floor of the, 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 uh, the top floor. And he was talking about the, talking about God. And he's like, dude, I'll challenge you. Just stay one day tomorrow. You come and talk with me. And, um, if you want to leave, like, I'll call your parents. I'll help, I'll help you. Like, we'll, 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 we'll go to the next phase, but give it 24 hours. But also why don't you, why don't you talk to God and see if he can help you out? Why don't you talk to him tonight? Can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, yes. <laughs> and so that night I had a really cool experience and I kind of prepared spiritually. I, I read a little bit of the Bible, uh, the four agreements, kind of, you know, kind of like out of three different books that I had, just kind of try to get spiritually in tune to kind of ask God, um, you know, if he knew who I was, if he cared about me. Um, and I, I got on my knees to pray and I had this overwhelming sense of um, like a spiritual, like warm blanket, just like hugged me, you know, and I just bawled <laughs> like for 10 minutes. I, I kind of felt, you know, God's love, which is like so cool. And at that point in my recovery, Two weeks in, I, you know, um, just, <laughs> I, I wasn't sleeping, coming off of opiates, you don't sleep, you know, because opiates are your natural, um, <laughs> like, sleep chemicals. When you stop taking opiates, your body freaks out. So I couldn't sleep for a while. And so 
after that experience that night, um, it was absolutely just phenomenal. And just, um, there's a, the, the church actually did an interview with me. It's, um, if you go to YouTube and you put 12 steps to, um, 12 steps to change, I'm step two of the 12 steps. They did a whole series on the 12 steps, but, um, yeah, so I, I talk about that more in detail on, on that video, but, um, I mean, the next day I woke up and I, I just felt different. You know, I had, I had, uh, I had hope again. I, I, I knew that God knew who I was, um, that, that, uh, God really was there and it was, it was completely life-changing. And so to answer your question though, um, how do I stay connected? I'm always praying. I'm always talking to God. I mean, that's, that's my go-to. I suck at scriptures, suck at church. Probably have like, if you rate like A to F, I probably like a C, C plus at church. <laughs> but, um, I freaking knock it out of the park with prayer. And I think I knock it out of the park with just connecting with other people yeah. who are like me, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that know that, 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 you know, the gospel is universal principles and you don't have to be LDS to, to take advantage of the gospel. I yeah. mean, anybody can, you know, uh, God loves all of us. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's not gonna say, Hey, you're my people. It's like, Hey, I love you guys. You're awesome. But you know, everyone's God's people, Jesus, you know? And so, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I like I said, I, I got back into church with a different perspective a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit different than I think of a lot of people's, but it's mine and it's real and it's raw and, and it works for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. And I love, you know, what you said about connecting with people because that's one thing that I know about you is like you do like you have a huge heart and you connect with people and it's you know I don't know it's just really cool to see and your story is so inspiring and I just appreciate you being willing to take the time with me and I am forever grateful that you pushed me to do this podcast it means so much to me so thank you so much and thanks for being You're on welcome. my podcast I love this podcast. I love, I'm so proud of you for actually doing it. A lot of people talk about doing things. You freaking did it, dude. So I'm proud of you. Thank you so much.